Kenam Chatlam, not Lesman Mane, Nestewas Lolam, Las Hoitchens Lolam, Lachais Lalkam, not Jim Kotlaino. This is Deer Hunting Song. Snoeth, Tuesdays, 1 to 2 p.m., a program celebrating First Nations languages and cultural topics, including history, poetry, music, and spirituality. Snoeth broadcasting on Vancouver Co-op Radio from the unceded Coast Salish Territory every Tuesday from 1 to 2 p.m. and syndicated on UBC CITR 101.9 FM Wednesdays 4 to 5 p.m. Thank you for joining us on Co-op Radio 100.5 CFRO. I'm Gidorji O'Sullivan, your host for today with co-host Woody Morrison and special guest host Sarvanaz. We also have guest Lee Brown in the house who is going to be doing a comparative study on the great law of peace and the Baha'i faith. And also Sandy Schofield. Thank you for joining us on Co-op Radio. Hi there. Today we have Dr. Lee Brown 
and he's the former director of the UBC Institute of Aboriginal Health and also the former coordinator of Indigenous Doctoral Program in the Department of Educational Studies at UBC. He's also contributed to the Round Lake Native Healing Center in Vernon, BC for over 30 years in a number of capacities. He's also been the keynote speaker at many Aboriginal conferences and co-author of The Sacred Tree. Uh, Lee Brown is a member of the Cherokee Nation, Wolf Clan, and also a member of the Baha'i Faith. Hello, Lee. Hi there, how are you? I'm great, thank you. Um, I'm really curious to know, how did you find the Baha'i Faith? Uh, well, I found the Baha'i Faith about 40 years ago. <clears throat> I was in a sweat lodge uh, on the Muckleshoot Reservation in Washington State and uh, with my sweat teacher, whose name was Don Matheson from the Puyallup tribe. And <clears throat> I heard my grandfather's voice. My grandfather had passed on a few years before and uh, his voice said to ask my good friend Phil Lane, Chief Phil Lane, for a book. I knew who Phil was at that time, but I didn't know him well, but I approached him and, and told him my experience, and he gave me a number of books, all of which was about, were about the Baha'i Faith, and I, I wasn't interested in the Baha'i Faith because I was really into the Native ways, and I had a strong spiritual path at that time. I was uh, singing in a lot of the powwows and attending ceremonies around the Seattle area, and so I kind of forgot about the experience, but when I went up to fast the next year, I was fasting for four days and nights with no food and water, and during that fast, I heard my grandfather's voice again, who said, uh, he said, reconsider the Baha'i faith. So I, when I came down from the fast, and some time went by, and one night I couldn't sleep, and I thought, oh yeah, those books. So I started reading them, and uh, the, basically to find something I could disagree with. <laughs> but uh, I didn't find anything I disagreed with. <clears throat> Instead, I found uh, a view of the world that I really accepted, and so as, uh, after about three years of study and looking at the faith, I, I, decided to, I decided to join. One night I was, uh, one evening at the end of work, I was having a sweat at my house there just outside the city of Seattle. And uh, one of the elders had asked if he could come, and his name was Andy Collicum, and he was from the west coast of Vancouver Island. And uh, I had sent some cedar to Israel, and uh, the man I sent the cedar, the man that Phil gave the cedar to, whose name it was Hooper Dunbar, had uh, sent me back from Sage. And I thought since this elder was visiting me, I would use the sage on the rocks as a kind of special sage from Israel. And uh, Andy was quite a seer, and he just knew things. He was very gifted. <clears throat> Without me saying anything, as I put this, the sage on the rocks, he said, uh, that sage is from Israel. I said, yes, it is. It's from a hill on which there's a great a building with a great golden dome, and he started describing the Baha'i World Center. And then he said the sentence that when he said it, I knew that I really wanted to be a Baha'i. He said, I see the prayers coming from that place of the great dome to your little lodge here, little sweat lodge, as a, as a, uh, I see the prayers coming as a stream of rose petals across the sky of the earth. And that was such a beautiful. I knew that Andy didn't know anything about the writings or the significance of rose petals in the Baha'i faith, or uh, and so I decided at that time that that was a moment which I, I kind of made the final decision to become a Baha'i. But I have also continued the spiritual path and the spiritual practice, native spiritual ways. I believe strongly in them, and I'm still a singer, and I still do uh, all the practices I did before. That's wonderful. Now, in Canada, we have uh, a Baha'i community of over 30,000 people, 18% uh, of which 
um, are of Aboriginal background. I didn't know that. Yes. Um, and I'm wondering, what do you think about, in your experiences, what, what do you think draws Indigenous communities to the Baha'i faith? Well, I think what, what draws communities and individuals, usually uh, when I talk, go around talking to people, is a, similar to me, a spiritual experience that has, uh, that has keyed their interest and that when the faith comes, they recognize it because of dreams or visions they've had before. And also the prophecies that many tribes point to the faith. So I think that people follow these and they, they're aware of them. And when they are, uh, when they are uh, presented with the, the faith, they, they see their, their prophecies and their teachings and their own dreams and visions in the faith. And, and uh, it's a new breath of fresh air yes. after uh, things like residential schools and mission schools and that kind of stuff. You know, the one thing I really liked about the Baha'i faith is that they said all the religions are good. Mm. Yes, I, did quite, I did a spiritual search where I looked at many the religious. I read the Bhagavad Gita, the Vedas, the Sutras, the Dhammapada, mm. the Lao Tzu, the Tao, the Inner Chapters, the Quran, the Kabbalah, the the Bible. I read them all, and uh, <clears throat> and okay, and they all said their way was the way, you know. And if you don't go my way, you're, you know, not in good shape. And the Baha'i faith was the first one that said all the religions are from God, as well as the native religions. And I, it's the first time I'd ever heard that. And I really like that. Thank you so much for sharing that. All kinds of beautiful things going on here in the city of Vancouver. You just heard the new Cherokee morning song. And before that, we heard from Sandy Schofield, who's joined us in the studio. She'll be talking to us about a new initiative in the downtown east side. Uh, the artist, uh, the Center for the Downtown East Side. And, the, and Woody's joined us. Welcome to the program, Woody. Thank you. And we have Lee Brown in the studio who's been speaking with us, Sarvanaz. And, and what do you think of the conversation that we've just uh, witnessed and heard? Well, my, uh, my mother was Cherokee. Oh, yeah? Yeah, from Oklahoma. Oh. And she married my father, Haida, and I was raised Haida. Mm -hmm. One of my uncles, my grandfather's brother, was of the Baha'i faith. But he never talked about it. Uh, they were teaching me the old ways at home. And I was the last one, I think. I was selected when I was born. Ah. So uh, I didn't really... Well, I'm one of my cousins, too. Uh, she was, I think Lee probably knows her, Dr. Brown knows her, Joyce Shales. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she's Very my well. cousin. Yeah, she's my cousin. And I used to go to the feasts with her. And uh, so I met a lot of nice people there. The uh, Baha'i people. But I don't know anything about it. Well, that's why we have Lee Brown here and Sarvanaz. Back to you. 
Um, so maybe you can share a little bit more with us, Lee, about some different topics or parallels between Native culture, Indigenous culture, and the Baha'i faith. I know um, uh, we, you referred earlier to the, the Great Law. Mm -hmm. um, perhaps you can expand on that a bit. Okay, thank you. Yeah, <clears throat> one of my interests has been in my life, uh, for those that don't know, Cherokees are Iroquois people, and uh, although we're not part of the Six Nations or the Confederacy, we have been influenced by the the law and the life of the peacemaker who came and brought a, a great law of peace. And, and one of my interests in life has been uh, uh, comparing that law to uh, the Baha'i law, which is called the Kitabi Akdas. I actually sponsored the first uh, Baha'i class at the University of British Columbia when I was there, a student-directed seminar. A young man wanted to do a student-directed seminar, and I was a faculty sponsor. It was a very interesting class. We had about one-third Christian, one-third Muslim, and one-third Baha'i. Really interesting and wonderful discussions and deepening people's understandings and of each other. And so I decided as a faculty sponsor to do a presentation on the, the Great Law piece, the 117 statements that are the foundation of the Iroquois Confederacy. And uh, one of the Baha'i students there that day raised her hand and said, you know, that sounds just like the Kitabah Akdas. And I hadn't put the two together and how similar the uh, Baha'i law is to the uh, great law. And so I, and since that time, I've actually written a book on the subject and uh, hoping to get it published soon. And it's a comparative legal study of the two legal systems. And one of the things I believe strongly is that when a, when a prophet such as the peacemaker or Baha'i law appears, they always bring a law, and in the law are principles, and it is those principles that bring peace. And uh, the peacemaker had the principles of peace, power, and righteousness. It brought peace to the Confederacy. Peace to nations have been fighting for a long time. And uh, Baha'u'llah has also brought a law which has principles that if once we take those principles into our hearts, you know, peace will come to, to all nations. You know, I do believe it will happen. It doesn't seem like it now, but I think, it will, I think the peace and a, a world Confederacy will eventually come about. Yeah, you know... Growing up the way I did, you know, learning things I did from those old men, something that stuck in my head was um, that when we use English, we can craze, cause or create a lot of confusion because, see, in our language, we don't have a word for peace mm -hmm. because the other side is war, and we didn't have war, not in the sense that the Europeans, when they came, they brought the concept of unconditional surrender. And that wasn't a part of our ways. So I'm always curious, though. I uh, I don't know much about the great law of peace. I've heard about it, but I have not had any experience in learning about it. And I'd really like to know more. So but where do I go? Read your book? Well, if you just put great law of peace in online, you know, the, the copy of the, the law will come up. There's many versions of it. Uh, so it, it does exist. Uh, there's also some Iroquois uh, bookseller companies that you can get copies of the law. So yeah. it, it's it's available. Yeah, it's, I started writing um, some things about Haida, the, the principles of healing, and um, some of sort of philosophical principles, and the um, and I'm kind of curious as to maybe it might be similar. So I have to look that up. I really would like to know. It's um, There's so many mysteries in this world, and we think we know all the answers. But 
We haven't gotten to the questions yet. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, with this world thing. Uh, see, when I talk about reconciliation, my, my view of it is that we have to find it in ourselves. We can't find it outside and point the finger at somebody else. There are certain values or we might say cultural imperatives or with the great law of peace or of what you were saying about Baha'i is that once we can, well, there's a part in my chest just below my throat we call the spirit house. This is where my spirit uh, rests. And until I can find some balance in that thing, uh, I'm going to be confused and angry. But if I can start finding that balance, in fact, it's called finding my song. But it isn't a song. It's how do I fit into the rhythm of the universe. It's sort of like watching this double dutch jump rope. If you walk over and jump in, you're going to get whacked by both ropes. So you have to figure out the rhythm before you step into it. And so many of us are walking around trying to figure out how do we get into that double dutch thing. And we just keep getting whacked because we haven't slowed down to let our spirit catch up. And you were fortunate in having somebody bring something to you that way. Um, I spent a few years going to Sweat Lodge and learning from Lakotas, a man named uh, Louis Badwound and Robert Fasthorse. And uh, I was, I was, I guess you might, I would say, I w wouldn't say I was surprised but there was always something very revealing. There was something that seemed like was fulfilling in there. So is that kind of the, what this law of peace and... Well, I think one of the really important things that resonates with me, Woody, that you said is that uh, the idea of reconciliation, you know, to me the path out of colonialism and the path towards reconciliation is a path of justice. And I believe a <clears throat> definition of justice I received from uh, one of my teachers in my life, a man named Dr. Daniel Jordan, said that the society is just if every person in that society has the same exact possibility to become who they want to be. And, uh, you know, because of discriminations and certain things that happen in the Indian Act and many other things, there really is not justice in our society. Canadian society is very just, but there are you know, there's there's many injustices that, that Native people endure. And uh, the uh, concept of justice is mentioned six times in the great law, you know, because in order for to bring peace to a society, you have to have justice. And as well, Baha'u'llah said that the most beloved thing in the sight of the Creator is justice. We have to get to a place, and that's where the principles come in. Some of the principles include... Uh, universal education for everyone, the oneness of humanity, that we're one people, uh, but many cultures, beautiful cultures, but one people. And also in the great law, the peacemaker said uh, that we are made of one blood and of one earth are we made. That's an ex pretty much an exact statement from the law. We are of one blood, all human beings. That's why we, people came here. We knew they were human beings. They didn't think we were human beings. But we knew the law, so we knew they were human beings. And uh, so, <clears throat> to me, the, the important thing is that we somehow get to a place of justice, which to me is the way that it happened in the past was through 
implementing the principles of the law in ways that gave everybody an equal and fair chance. Um, the Haida teachings, too, are that it tells of at creation, they don't use the word creation, it said everything was brought into the light. And when the light was on it, it appeared. And then it tells the first creation of human was female. And the reason we were created was that we were the only beings that could truly appreciate the wonderment of creation. And also, we were given the means to be able to express that 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 appreciation, not so much in words as but as in deed. And also, it says that, like you said, we, we have one word in Haidas, Hades, Hades is all the humans. And this, the history I was taught is called, I'm telling the story of all the humans, Slauk Egong. And it says that although my fingers are different, each one is different, they all connect to the same heart. So we don't have, and the only uh, requirement to be human is to be born of a woman. So we're not mankind, we're humankind. But to be humankind, you've got to be kind human. And it says when that woman gives birth to a child, the moment that child cries signals it's now in harmony with the universe. So we call it Jatayt Ashwi, the woman's magic of harmony. And so that's where we always try to get. The universe is filled with harmony, and we're the only discordant sounds by our drive to be individuals. In Haida, we call it Shkuju. We start grabbing and we can't stop. And the only way to stop is you have to learn to give back before you take. So those are the kinds of things I grew up with. And so maybe in some ways um, it might be very similar to what you're talking about because we all come from the same genesis. One of the things a peacemaker said when he was just a boy is he put a stop to war games among other children, the children's games, because at that time the people's life totally revolved around war. And he put a stop to war games. And I was often wondering in my mind if he was alive today, would he put a stop to fighting in hockey? <laughs> but uh, the peacemaker said that he had been sent by the, the one that made the earth and the moon, the sun and the stars, because that one was displeased with the violence among the people that human beings are relatives and relatives should not be hurting each other. And if you look around the world today, we are hurting each other. That's why I hope that the, uh, when, the, when, the, when the, the newly brought law, which I see as the return of the great law, um, really comes into the hearts of the people, a higher order of peace will come upon the earth and there will be a confederacy of nations where mm-hmm. we'll stop what we're doing now, the bombing and the shooting and the, you know, yeah, see, Everything that, that's happening. In yeah. that uh, story of Klauk Egong, it tells of a great cataclysmic event, and I think it was maybe something like a supervolcano. And the people begin preparing by putting dried food in caves. And the spirit person we call Shaga warned them that when you begin amassing things, you have to be careful because if you're not, the worm could get in your mind and create a need for stuff you don't need. If that happens, you become skuju, you start grabbing and you can't stop. And that's what all wars are fought over. Somebody trying to take something from somebody else, even if they don't want it or don't need it. So I said the only way to pre- prevent that is to give back. 
And what that meant was like if we're looking for food, animal presents itself or fish or, or other food, you always say, I'm going to give this first one back. We never take that first one because if somebody comes along later, there'll be something for those people. And at the same time, if you give back that animal, it's going to have young ones. You give back that fish, it's going to have more. So if you can give back before you take, then the balance is restored because that's what our job is. But if it's all grabbing and grabbing and grabbing, uh, people thinking that they have the right to take, and that's what happened when people came among us, is they still think that they have a right to do whatever they choose, and we don't. Well, I agree, we don't have a right to do everything. It's all about, in Haida it was called, uh, it's described as avoiding causing others discomfort when you're all living in a one house, like our long houses, there's always the possibility of brushing against somebody, causing them discomfort. And so life was like a very delicate dance in which we avoided causing others discomfort. And if we did, we didn't say sorry. No, there was a gift and something else that had to be done to restore the balance rather than just say sorry. I didn't mean to break your arm <laughs> or steal your boat. So anyway, those are the kinds of things I was taught. And um, from watching what you've been doing over the years, Lee, and I've watched you for many, many years, and you've been very, very consistent in the way you've approached life with, and with those values. First time I ever saw you was on a film called uh, The Honor of One is the Honor of All. Yes. And um, that song still resonates with me, The Rose. Maybe I could share a, a couple of statements from each law, which I find it so remarkable that uh, they're so similar. In Article 28, or what uh, more traditionally you'd call the 28th wampum of the, great, of the great law, the peacemaker said, and this law has been memorized and recited by memory every year for almost 900 years now in the Confederate longhouses. When I say the peacemaker, Peacemaker said, I mean, according to the oral tradition, you know, as it's recorded in an oral tradition, in Article 28, the peacemaker said, your heart shall be filled with peace and goodwill, your mind filled with the yearning for the welfare of the people of the Confederacy, and all the chief's words and actions shall be marked by calm deliberation. <clears throat> to me, this statement shows the relationship between the head and the heart, which is called the good red road, and, and the voice speaking in calm deliberation. On the other side of the world, Baha'u'llah said, translated from Arabic to English, adorn your heads with the garlands of trustworthiness and fidelity, your hearts with the attire of the fear of God, and your tongues with absolute truthfulness, your bodies with the vesture of courtesy. That's paragraph 128 of the great law. To, to, to me, those similar... Those two statements are incredibly similar, and they show that all the prophets of the Creator are the same one spirit, appearing at different times in different places upon the world. The same person. As a matter of fact, one of the times when the Baha'u'llah was really pressed and asked, who exactly are you? 
He said, I'm the quickener and the peacemaker of the world. The peacemaker was a name that he claimed and uh, for himself. So to me, it's like the same spirit appearing two different times upon the earth. Once a law was brought to give peace to five nations, but now it's been brought to give peace to all nations. And Woody, are there any stories from the Haida nations that are similar? What I was told was that, um, see, the ones who were taught that history were selected at birth, and I think I was the last one. And when my grandfather took me to them, I was only three years old. And at first they didn't really tell me anything, they just talked about these things until I was about five or six years old. Then every day when I would go, they would always ask me the same questions. What did you see and what did you learn? I didn't see nothing. I didn't learn nothing. And then I started describing what I saw on the road. It's about a half mile. I'd walk to the big general store. There was a, they always had a fire there. there was, you had to have fire there for these things. And then a few years later, I, I began to understand what they were after. I had to first learn to see what's supposed to be there. Then I had to learn to see what's not supposed to be there. Then I had to learn what's not there, what's missing. And then I had to learn to find the question never asked. And that's the hard one. That, that, that one, it takes, it's very, very difficult to describe. But it's, it's a way of finding peace within yourself. We call it gilai. Gilai is a round hole in the water in a flowing stream or sometimes a lake where it's very deep and very quiet and still. It's a place of sustenance. And it says that's where a woman's feelings are, is in that place of sustenance. And if a man knows that, he knows he'll know how to bring those feelings up to where two can become one, can become more. So... All of these things that they were talking about <coughs> didn't seem to reside in one person, but they were, they, were le they were put in certain people to pass it on, and the way it was taught was more like uh, hypnosis sessions. The old man would tell me, sit down, I'm going to show you something, prepare yourself. So I would sit and I'd lean back and put my hands over my solar plexus, close my eyes and start slowing down my breathing and my heartbeat and clear my mind. Because the mind he described was like a vessel filled with silty water and you have to let it settle. And when it settled, then I would tell him the eishke. And the language is very precise and so when he'd start talking, it's like I go inside him and I experience everything he's talking about. And as it's going into my mind, there's nothing in there that's going to contaminate that, inner, that information because I've cleared my mind. And so this is the way they would do it. And this went on for many years. My last teacher died when I was 67 years old. And uh, the one uncle, the one that was Baha'i, he was the last one that spent a lot of time with me. And I think he was teaching me those principles rather than saying where they came from. Mm -hmm. uh, because what we were taught is the message is more important than the teacher. So 
We almost never tell who it was that taught us because you wouldn't know anyway. But so when they tell it to us, they would tell it in such a way that I experience it. So when I tell it, I'm telling it from having experienced it rather than having heard it. So that's how it was. And um, <coughs> so I'm always, I met a guy from West Africa. And I think he might have had some experience with Baha'i, but one of the things he said to me one day is before he left home, the elders told him to not forget to slow down and let your spirit catch up. And he said, sometimes we start running so fast it can't catch up. And so we start, and to be be, be careful to not change the ceremony because if you change the ceremony, it'll cause chaos like people who wind that's gone crazy and starts causing destruction. It's kind of how it was described. I don't know what that was supposed to mean, but those are the things that were talked about.
we were listening to Hummingbird by Seals and Crofts. And um, we chose a song today to play because it's a symbolic song about the prophet founder of the Baha'i faith, uh, Baha'u'llah. And Seals and Crofts were both Baha'is. And it's interesting, um, in the lyrics it says, uh, Oh hummingbird, mankind was waiting for you to come flying along. Heavenly songbird, we were so wrong, we've harmed you. And uh, again, it goes on to say that... um, um, and the spirit voices whisper in us all, haven't you noticed the rays? The spirit sun is stronger and a new day is dawning for us all. And also it's interesting in the way of the hummingbird being a significant uh, symbol in Pacific Northwest Coast art as it symbolizes not only beauty and intelligence, but it's also a messenger um, and uh, a, mes- a messenger to tell people things to come, a messenger of joy. Uh, good luck, and uh, its ability to hover back and forth at great speeds is believed to be a skill for guiding the people. So back to you, Gunarji. All right. Thank you very much. Sarvanaz on Co-op Radio. Snow Elf is the name of the show. And you know that I have Sandy Schofield in the control room with me. She's here to tell us all about an event that starts this evening uh, from the downtown East Side Center for the Arts. Sandy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ganarji. Yeah, I'm working with Delana Gil Bowen oh. at the Downtown East Side Center for the Arts. Our uh-huh. acronym is DECA, uh-huh. and we have a website. And what we're doing is we're doing programming to that demographic, de- like, you know, it's a lot of society's most vulnerable people. So True. we have a total, uh, everyone's welcome, no one's turned away, irregardless of your financial, your mental, you know, your addictions, whatever, we're welcoming people. Beautiful. So we have a beautiful show that's opening up tonight. Uh-huh. It's called... Something for the people. Something for the people, that's correct. It's called Masks, Traditional and Contemporary Masks in an Urban Setting. And this exhibit's going to run at the Interurban Gallery, which is where we operate out of. Oh. It's at number one. East Hastings, which is right on the corner of Carroll and Hastings, uh, across from Pigeon Park. We have a beautiful venue there, the Interurban Gallery, and that's where our show's going to be this evening. We have a beautiful opening. Um, we're going to have some traditional dancers and drummers. The uh, Culture Saves Lives drummers are going to be performing. Um, we've got works by uh, some of the wonderful community carvers down in the downtown east side like john johnson oh yes do you know john uh no but where does he sit i might know him by where he sits (laughs) oh i don't know (laughs) is he the dude that sits right in front of the inuit gallery no i'm just kidding you're kidding yeah Yeah. um the one by the tree right yeah the cedar (laughs) tree (laughs) yeah that's good but no, I have seen the carvers down there and think that they're highly uh, underrepresented. And the sad thing about uh, the industry is that a lot of times the galleries are, are not really being fair dinkum with our carvers. And, and I think that needs to be addressed and it has been happening for a long time. That's correct. They take mm-hmm. 60% and they give the carver 40 It should be the other way around. If they're lucky. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And then they always have to... Uh, stand there with their hands out basically mm-hmm. begging to be paid more and mm-hmm. bartering uh their skills and talents away. well we honor our community Good. members and as we know the creator has given everyone gifts so mm-hmm. we all have gifts we can't look at people that carve or you know do 
do work like that is being so gifted and gee I wish I could do something we all have gifts right our gifts might be empathy or Mm -hmm. compassion or communication but we all have gifts the gifts of the gab that's correct so it looks like you have a really great lineup uh, mm-hmm. again. You got some uh, traditional teachings, mm-hmm. and uh, Fred John will be there. Vera Jones, Sam George. No, 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 no. This is another event that another we have event. called Talking to the okay. Elders, and that happens on May thirteenth. That's going to be May thirteenth from seven to nine p.m. And we have four of our esteemed elver- elders here in our unceded territory that are going to be there. And basically, it's an opportunity for the community to. Talk with them, ask them questions, mm-hmm. tell them a joke, yeah. find out if they're single. No, I'm Help kidding. Make that connection, <laughs> right? And yeah. C. Swice is also showing up. No, when you're C. Talking. Swice is doing a, a story, a children's storytelling on May 19th from 5 to 6.30. It's, jo- it's Cease, for a lot of the listeners who don't know her, is a Salish woman. She's from the North Shore, and uh, she's... Um, a kind of a medicine woman. She's a very gifted lady, and she's going to be doing uh, some traditional West Coast stories for the kids. Oh, good. Was mm-hmm. that Cease? Yeah, Cease. That's uh-huh. correct. Yeah. yeah, I know her. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Everybody knows Cease. Mm-hmm. But you're lady. talking about esteemed elders. What about us that aren't esteemed? Yeah, well, you're an esteemed <laughs> elder, Woody. I hate. I don't. I don't think you should lead people on like that. We <laughs> we value you. We love you. Well, one of the things that the old man told me, he says, you're young only once, but you can remain immature for the rest of your life. (laughs) 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 But yeah, these kinds of things, you know, this mask, uh, the way we were taught about masks is when you put on the mask, you become it. Mm -hmm. It's not, you're not imitating something, Mm -hmm. you become it. Mm -hmm. And uh, my grandfather talked about when he would go to try to, get some, I guess you'd say, justice from government. He said, every time they see us coming, they put on a mask so we can't see them. And fighting with those lawyers was like fighting with a sh- with shadows in a darkened room. Mm. And so there was one that was supposed to get behind the mask and give substance to the shadows. Mm. So that's been my job. <laughs> Interesting job, Woody. Uh, we have a special guest in the house, uh, Dr. Lee Brown, who is the former director of the UB Insti- UBC Institute of Aboriginal Health and an expert on Native American stories. He's here in the studio with Sarvanas. Back to you. Uh, <clears throat> speaking of elders, um, earlier we were hearing from Woody and, and Sandy. Um, uh, someone who was uh, an exceptional uh, human being and founded the first Aboriginal Friendship Center and also received the Order of Canada for her cultural revitalization efforts is Dorothy McAbeek uh, Francis. And uh, I know that uh, you knew her, Lee, and I would love to I hear did. some stories from you. Well, I, <clears throat> I did know Dorothy and her husband very well. Uh, I met them uh, when I still lived in the States and I was learning to sing, and my first uh, singing teacher was a Kiowa man. And um, I often went to his house on the weekends, and uh, we'd spend all Friday, Saturday, Sunday singing and telling stories. And he was working on a dance outfit. Uh, and and um, lo- uh, some people were coming from Canada to get the dance outfit, and it turned out to be Dorothy Francis and her husband. And he had beaded a, a powwow outfit for uh, Dorothy's husband. 
And I know that she told me that when she, when they left the reserve and and, and moved into the city, they were so disappointed that and and it seemed like people were treating them as well as they thought they should be treated. Which gets back to the ideas of justice that Woody and I were talking about earlier. And uh, she was so frustrated by all this, and and she did something very positive and creative, creative from the anger that she had. She started the first friendship center, and they have went all over North America now. And uh, she was just the most blessed and, and wonderful person. And uh, she went all over the, the country teaching. And uh, my mind is failing me right now. I was remembering specific stories. But I was at many, many gatherings with her. Uh, and she was a, a beautiful speaker, a tireless worker for for the improvement of the situation of uh, all people, really. Remembering her this month, uh, there's going to be a picnic um, in New Westminster at Queen's Park where there's also a totem pole that was carved in her honor. And uh, uh, she was a Baha'i, so this is obviously open to everybody that was Baha'i community as well as uh, friends of the Baha'i community. And we're also hosting a memorial prayer gathering at uh, Gallery 1515 on May 27th at 2 o'clock. So if you'd like to learn more about Dorothy Francis, um, we encourage you to come. Yeah, I really don't know anything about her. I've heard her name, but that's about it. But I've taken advantage of, um, well, the Friendship Center once gave me free space to teach Haida language and culture. And that's what I was doing. And then one day I met somebody working for VACFAS. And next thing I know, I was working for them <laughs> for the last 10 years now, doing a program strengthening families. And now we do one call for fathers, and that's this evening. And to me, that's the greatest, this is the greatest job I've ever had, is to be able to work with people and, and, uh, and to see some changes. It's, it's really quite an opportunity, and I guess you might say that a lot of it started because of her. That's amazing. Can you remind us uh, when the gathering is again, Sarvanas? Uh, well, there'll be two different events happening. Uh, there's a memorial picnic in New Westminster, um, and uh, that that you can find that event on Facebook, uh, the Dorothy Francis Memorial Picnic and RSVP there. Or there's also a, a memorial prayer gathering at Gallery 1515 on May 27th at 2 p.m., and that's also on Facebook. So if you just search those events, you'll probably find them there. <laughs> so we're also going to ask uh, Dr. Brown about uh, a vision of black elk and the story of black elk. So if you could share a little bit about that with us, that would be great. <coughs> oh, well, interesting that you sh should say that because one day I was at a very boring meeting at UBC and I was sitting in the back trying to hard to stay awake. And as I just about drifted off, uh, a thought came to me that I didn't know if it was true or not. And my thought was that Black Elk's great vision was at the very time that Baha'u'llah was writing the, the the new law, the Kataba Akdas. And I got so excited by this thought, I had to leave the meeting. <laughs> I went home and got on my computer. And I knew that uh, Black Elk was born in 1863. And I knew that he had his vision when he was nine years old. As a little boy of nine years old, he was sick for three months, and then he was taken to the spiritual realm and showed a great vision, which has been a source of great encouragement and uh, to many Native people in our downtimes. And uh, sure enough, uh, Baha'u'llah didn't write the Kitab Akdas all at once, but it was during the years of around 1970 to 1974, 75, 76, that the 
the Kitabakdos was written, but the main kind of year was 1972, when the when the the bulk of it was written. And I've always thought that Black Elk's uh, since that time I've thought that Black Elk's vision was actually a vision of the coming of the law. And uh, uh, Black Elk said that he saw two wise ones coming from the east, and between them rose a daybreak star, which is a very Baha'i phrase, a daybreak star. And some Baha'is believe that the two wise ones were the Bob and the forerunner of the Bob, uh, the Bob and, and Baha'u'llah, the Bob being the forerunner or announcer of the Bob, same as uh, uh, John the Baptist, or was announcer of Jesus in the Christian faith. <clears throat> and um, they, they gave to him the herb of understanding. To me, that's the writings, that's the law, the herb of understanding, to understand. And he dropped that herb up on the ground, and it grew into a tree that flowered with four blossoms, red, white, black, and yellow. And to me, that's the unity, that the unity of the principles of the law that bring unity and justice, that allow the cessation of war and the beginning of peace and the creation of civilization and advancement of civilization. And so, uh, you know, Black Elk, seen in his vision that the tree of life of native people was withering and dying, but he also saw that beneath the ground the root still lived and that it would come back above the ground as a new tree of life uh, when the herb of understanding was taken into our hearts and and uh, we we uh, <clears throat> got to the point where we we had a rebirth, and, or, which I think is happening. I think it has been happening. I think it is happening now. I know that Black Hawk's vision has been very, very inspiring to me. It's uh, He also talked in his vision about the three pieces that come to human being, the first piece being the piece that was in a, which is within a person, you know, and, and, uh, and that comes when you realize that the center of the universe is also within you. The second piece being the piece between, you know, men and women. And the third piece is a piece between governments. And it's, you know, so there's a lot of also about peace in his vision. I'm not stating that exactly right, but uh, well, that's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. And I know that you've also had quite a bit of experience in the field of education. And um, and I wonder if uh, you mentioned some of the principles of the Baha'i faith, of uh, world peace, uh, quality of men and women. Um, and we also have the, the idea of universal education for all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Actually, since while you were uh, talking there, I found the... Black House quote, maybe I could read it. Uh, sure, sure. The first piece, the first piece, which is the most important, is that which comes within the souls of people when they realize their relationship, their oneness with the universe and all its powers. And they realize that the center of the universe dwells at the center of the universe dwells Wakantanka, and that this center is really everywhere and within each of us. This is a real place, and the others are but reflections of this. The second piece is that which is made between two individuals. And the third, which is made between two nations. But above all, you should understand that there can never be peace between nations until there's known that true peace, that true peace, which I have often said is within the souls of men. And that's from the book, The Sacred Pipe, one of the many books written about Black Elk. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. What was the question again? <laughs> Let's see if we have enough time. That's a big subject to cover. That is. Uh, you were talking about education, uh, and I think that is a, a whole new show, and it would be awesome to have you back uh, Three quotes. in the future. And while you were talking, I found Black Elk's Prayer, which I might just play a little later on okay. in the show or that down the great. road. Okay, and, and so I you have three more quotes. 
If it's time to end, I want to end with uh, three quotes. And I'm glad that you asked me about Baha'u'llah because the first quote is, I mean, asked me about Black Elk because the first quote is from Black Elk. And uh, Black Elk said, Hear me that there may come more, once more. Hear me that they once more may go back into the sacred hoop and find the good red road, the shooting tree. Baha'u'llah said, Yet it shall be these fruitless strifes, these ruinous wars shall pass away, and the most great peace will come. And the peacemaker said, according to a recitation by Chief John Gibson in the year uh, 1912, one of the last uh, recorded recitations in in the native language of the teachings that go with the peace, the peacemaker said, so this is your work. Then peace will emerge among the people. So this is our work, to bring peace and to make manifest these principles among human beings in such a way. <clears throat> and uh, it's just a closing time, comment. During the 40 years of his life that the peacemaker traveled among the various tribes and uh, asked them to consider peace, and he told them that the time would come when a voice would come from the thunders and they were all to meet at a certain place. And that's when they met at that place, uh, after 40 years of teaching and struggling among the peoples, uh, and in the... They say that when the voice thundered and it was time to create the Confederacy, on that day the voice uh, from the thunder beings in the cloud that every nation heard in all their different places, all at once the voice said, Is it not time yet? Is it not time yet? Thank you very much for joining us here today. Dr. Lee Brown was mm-hmm. in the studio with Sarvanaz, Woody Morrison, and myself. Sandy Schofield has been providing us musical interludes, and she has more. And a reminder about the mask event. Go ahead, Sandy. Take it away. so much for joining us here at Co-op Radio 100.5 CFRO. Don't forget, a big event is happening tonight in your honor, May 9th, 2017 at number one East Hastings Street at the Interurban Gallery. 6 p.m. is the time to be there. So be there. Say hello to Sandy Schofield. You get to go meet Delana Bowen and other artists will be on site. Mm -hmm. It will be awesome to see you. Thank you for joining us on Co-op Radio 100.5 CFRO.